Now, to show our gratitude, we're not going to be like the other guys and jerk you around and bullshit you. We're going to tell you the truth. Shane Douglas is the man who ignites the new flame of the sport of professional wrestling. The era of the franchise. The era of the ECW. And the franchise, Shane Douglas. Well, you want the lowdown on professional wrestling, get it right here at this podcast, Extreme Three-Way Dance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's up, Connection Podcast Network listeners? Welcome to the most extreme menage 12 violence you'll ever experience on the extreme three-way dance. And it is a big night here, Matt and Jennifer. How are you both doing? We've Good. done it. We've done it. We've we've made it to barely legal. Uh, some say it would have it never would have happened, but damn them all, I say. It's only been six months of build, so... <laughs> it's a lot. We're here. We've talked about it a lot. We've hyped it a lot. We are uh, prepping a lot. And it was fitting that we're talking about it here on episode 75 of our podcast, Jenny. We've been through every one. Of course, Matt joined us in early 96. But we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, and it's pretty cool to get to this point in the journey. Does it feel like graduation? It feels like more like maybe we moved out of mom and dad's and got our own apartment, the three of us. Oh, oh God. Mm -hmm. Three's company situation. (laughs) Dear God. (laughs) Who's John Ritter? (laughs) That's me, obviously. Oh, yes, actually. Uh, So a lot of excitement. Uh, We have spent a lot of time building to this show in this moment. And I'm curious to see, like... Obviously, we'll talk about it, but production improves on this pay-per-view. Uh-huh. Um, you could tell they stepped it up for this, you know, knowing all of a sudden they're in front of a national audience. And um, they have, you know, network execs and pay-per-view execs to impress. So cameras are are souped up. The presentations, it's cleaner. You can just see that they really took the time. So is that going to be a standard going forward? Uh, or is that just here for tonight? So there's so much... Um, to look forward to going forward, but first we're going to talk about this night, April 13th, 1997, 1,170 people packed into the ECW arena in Philadelphia, Joey Styles on the call. I remember that being a contentious bit as well. Joey talked about, I think on one of the DVDs that came out later, uh, that they pushed the uh, viewer's choice or whatever the network they ended up on. I forget which one it was, but uh, uh, Request TV, I should say, pushed for him to have a partner for mm-hmm. the pay-per-view. And mm-hmm. Paul went to bat for him and said, no, like, 
this is our guy. He does every show on his own and he could do it on his own. Um, so I feel like he had it like in him too, to really mm-hmm. go all out and make sure he delivered on Paul sticking up for him to be a solo act and not have a, a partner at the booth um, calling a pay-per-view solo. So a lot on the line, obviously this is a big deal that they put a lot into it. I think it's fair to say if it, stunk or didn't go well like it could have been a major blow to the future prospects of ecw mm-hmm. if it does go well and they continue to hum along you know future pay-per-views and maybe tv in the future um offers for them so well good on joey for standing mm-hmm. up for himself and good on paul for backing him up and boo to um peacock um when you're trying to find <laughs> this show on their app if you want to watch barely legal let me just tell you go to ecw the tab and then you have to go down to a to z and it's in that little category i searched for it by name and couldn't find it so that was very annoying matt any final thoughts from you head again uh, I agree with Jenny. It was a pain in the ass to find this show to watch, number one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it feels kind of like uh, WrestleMania, where if WrestleMania failed, it kind of meant it was going to be like right. the end of the WWF, maybe. So it right. kind of feels like the, like the, basically they're hedging all these all their bets on this show. And if this show fails there, uh, they may be up shit creek without a paddle. So uh, <laughs> hopefully it delivers. We'll see. And hopefully we deliver because for any longtime listeners of the Place to Be podcast, there was one particular <laughs> listener that always requested that this show be reviewed. And mm. uh, Scott and I never quite got there, but here we are for the first time ever in our universe of podcasts <laughs> covering <laughs> Bill Legal in 1997. Mm. Uh, and this, they did release this on DVD along with the rise and fall of ECW. If you got like the two DVD special mm-hmm. set, this was included with it. And that was the first time it was re-released. So that was cool back in 05 um, when they pushed this out. All right, let's get to it. Joey Styles in the ring. The crowd is rabid. We kick off our first ever ECW pay-per-view. We've officially arrived. Joey sets us up. He runs down the top matches of the night. The Dudley boys come out to booze before he can even finish. We get a very loud fuck you Devon chant as he tells the crowd to shut up. And right away, like I said, you can see the video quality is noticeably stronger. Mm. But the in-house mic struggled a bit. Mm. Um, It was hard Mm -hmm. to hear what they were saying. And it sounded to me like they they mic'd the crowd hotter than normal to pick up the ambiance around it. And as a result, it drowns out the mic in the ring. Oh. Mm. That was my, you know, big AV tech history. I yeah. played a role in <laughs> deciphering this, but that's what it felt like to me. Like because the, the crowd sounded more uh, louder than usual. And we know they're already usually loud and rowdy, but it seemed like we could pick it up more than normal. So. It looked like the arena got a coat of paint or something, too. Yeah. We're in Technicolor. It's like Wizard yeah. of Oz suddenly. I guess. All of a sudden, just got a paint job. And, yeah, everything <laughs> definitely felt brighter, and the colors felt richer. Just, you could just tell they're using better equipment. It's not as washed out. Mm-hmm. Um, so just everything's better quality. Devon shits on the fans some more. says it's time to testify. That brings us into opening animation. We get... Uh, the classic ECW theme song, This Is Extreme by Harry Slash and the Slash Tones. Uh, and we get all sorts of classic ECW clips setting us up here. We cut back to the ring. Joel Gertner takes the mic. He does his thing before officially introducing our tag team champions for their big defense as the Dudley Boys defend the ECW tag team titles against the Eliminators, the former champions. The Dudleys are all fired up after the intro. Eliminators march out. Joey settles in on commentary. He sounds crisper, too. You can tell his mm-hmm. mic is a little bit stronger. A uh, good pop for the Eliminators. They look sharp in their shiny pink tights. Focus as always. 
Sign Guy attacks at the bell and immediately pays with total elimination. They wipe him out. The <laughs> champs attack from behind. We're off and running. Bubba smashes Cronus with a powerbomb. Devon follows with a big splash for two. The champs continue to control a double-team offense. Also souped up on the mic is the ring. Uh, everything is up a level here. You can hear every bump and bang into the mm-hmm. ring very loudly. Bubba hoists Saturn up for suplex. Devon cross-bodies him down for two. Dudley showing off all kinds of double-team offense. Saturn mounts a comeback, cuts through both champions. He walks into a Bubba sidewalk slam. Just a great pace. Saturn breaks up a 3D on Cronus. The Eliminators batter the champions with a flurry of kicks and elbows with precision. The Eliminators hit stereo top rope twisting splashes. The crowd erupts as they embrace the Dudleys bail to regroup. The Eliminators keep the Dudleys at bay. Saturn flies into both on the floor with a springboard moonsault. Cronus follows with a perfect space-flying tiger drop as Joey's freaking out. They look great. Back inside, Cronus gets a handspring elbow, slams Bubba for a Saturn top rope elbow. The Eliminators keep working through double-team strikes. Saturn follows with a springboard moonsault. Cronus slams Devon. It's a top rope 450. Cronus is just fucking balling out tonight. Uh, the Eliminators hit a sandwich roundhouse kicks, bury Bubba with total elimination, and win the titles to a pop. Uh, pretty much a surprise finish, and I don't know where. This this kind of felt like a squash, to be honest, mm. uh, which I didn't mind. Like, it, it, you know, we're trying to rebuild the Eliminators as the best team in the world. This is the way to do it. Joel Gerner gets in the ring, and he announces that the Dudley Boys, based on his point system, are still tag team champions, but the Eliminators make a pay, and they just destroy him with total elimination and celebrate with the belts. I thought this was a great choice for the opener. It was really fun. It got the show rolling. Both teams showed off all the goods. Big time tag work and move sets. The crowd was all in on it. The Eliminators looked awesome. So sharp and fluid. Uh, the finish was good too. Again, surprising because it was just like it extended heat early and then just full shine into the finish. No back and forth at the end. And total elimination is protected like gold as always. No one gets out of that. So Matt went three and a quarter and I feel like we're off to a good start. Yeah, uh, I love this match. It's such a great way to open the show. Just nonstop action throughout. I mean, it's, what, five, six minutes maybe. The crowd is molten hot. You get great double teams from everybody. They didn't waste any time, really. They just they just went balls to the wall for five, six minutes. So, I mean, I, I don't think you could have found a better opener to this show. I, I just think it was a picture perfect. So, I actually went three and a half on this. I love this match. Jenny? I'm a little bit um, down on it. Not down on it. I, I just, I love that the Eliminators won. They looked really good. Um, but there was, I, I felt like there was, like they were feeling the pressure. Like there was a hesitancy in their moves. There was a slight awkwardness in the flow like it's it's subtle but i've seen these guys do this shit for a while now so i feel like i i feel like i can feel their nerves for how big this is and how everything is on the line um so i i feel like it takes a little bit of an edge off the eliminators in this match but i mean not much because they're badass but and, and look i expected them to win so it's a good opener, but I start to worry that everybody is in their heads a little bit too much. Do y'all get that feeling at all? I, I think there's a lot of pressure and high stress, especially being mm-hmm. the first match. So I don't disagree that things do feel a step off. I also think if you think of what we watch every week, it's post-produced, it's touched up, 
it's edited in a certain way. We're not really ever getting just like, this is it live and this is how it's going to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that could be part of it too. Like it may always be like that. And we're just like covering it with clip clipping and cutting and, you know, in and outs and stuff that we get on TV or even on the ECW home videos, we'd see of the super shows a little more touched up. Whereas this is like, this is it. This is they're live and there's no touching up here. So mm. while the production is increased, we are seeing more like all flaw- flaws and everything in front of you. Right. I think, I think it feels kind of like, like when they showed up on raw, mm. like it feels like we've been doing this like the way we want to do it in this dingy place right. for a while. But when we go and there's lights and it's bright and everybody's watching, it's, it feels it feels like they hold back maybe a little bit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm maybe projecting a little bit as well, but I did three stars. All right. Let's keep rolling. Joey's in the nest. He mocks Joel Gertner. Talks up our big three-way dance that's coming up later tonight. We get a hype video package for Sandman. Joey is back in the nest. His Lance Storm is scheduled to face Chris Candido tonight, but Candido needs six weeks off due to a torn biceps. And Candido is here with something to say. Candido gets to the ring with a sling. He says that in 1993, when ECW first started, he was on the very first show in this building. He left and went on to conquer the entire wrestling world. And a year ago with his best friend, Dr. Tom, and his girl, whose name he can't say because Bruce will get mad, they were winning the world tag team titles at WrestleMania. He came back home where he thought he wanted to be in ECW, but he came back in his extreme and nationwide. He thought he was a part of it. Him being hurt has nothing to do with him not being advertised or even on the shirt. Taz and Sabu deserve to be the main event, but he dares Sandman to come hit him with a cane, but says don't because I'm actually allergic to smoke. Then he calls out Stevie Richards, says he'll stomp on his foot, but you know how he feels about super kicks, so he's not going to go there. He says he should be in the main event, not Terry Funk. He isn't part of this. He'll be here in some way later tonight. Uh, Jenny, any thoughts on this Candido promo? I think it's just a way to throw him a bone since he got hurt. Uh, yeah. Give him a little, give him a moan in the sun. Yeah, I mean, I guess he gets to say his piece or whatever. That's fine. I mean, he did he did well with it. It was okay. <laughs> yeah, it, w- it was not nearly as coked out as most Candido promos are. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, I, I thought that was a welcome change because usually I have no idea what the fuck he's talking about <laughs> in promos. And I was actually able to follow this one. So that's a positive. All right, that sets up our next match, and it's Lance Storm will have to face a replacement, and it is Rob Van Dam, a man who actually did not have a match on this card, uh, but we'll get the shot now. So Storm shakes Candido's hand as they pass in the aisle. Joey reminds us that Storm's only 28 years old, but he's a seven-year pro and a graduate of the Heart Dungeon, and it's a big spot here for him to showcase on a big stage after just arriving. RVD heads out, again, man without a match. We'll see if he gets if he's out to prove a point. We get loud, you sold out chance for RVD, as Joey puts him over hard. We start with a lockup and fluttering through some control attempts and breaks. Storm gets the first big shot in a clothesline. After a stalemate, he slugs away and grabs a headlock. RVD arm drags free, gets a springboard crossbody for two, then knocks Storm outside and flies into him with a somersault plancha. Back in the ring, RVD slams Storm, gets a slingshot leg drop for two. As Joey says, RVD has no respect for anybody. Storm cracks RVD with a springboard back elbow. Storm hangs RVD on the top rope and drop kicks him to the floor. Tries a Piscato, but RVD dodges it and slams him hard to the floor. As Joey says, there's no pretty blue mats here because it's not Disney World. RVD ends up in the fans and hits a gorgeous moonsault press off a chair back over the railing into Storm. RVD gets a chair and slides back in. He throws Storm to the corner. When he ro- comes out, RVD spikes the chair into his face. Looked ugly. 
RVD follows with a running drop kick into the chair into Storm's face and hits a front suplex and a huge frog splash off the top for two. RVD smacks Storm in the face with the chair again, but Storm dodges a somersault splash. Power slams RVD on the chair head first. Storm dodges a spin kick, hits one of his own, and follows with a cartwheel splash and clothesline off the top for two. Storm floats through a charge into a single leg crab and wrenches it in. Keeps fending off RVD, but he gets tripped up. RVD hits a slingshot guillotine leg drop, crumples to the floor. Back inside, Storm hits a tiger bomb on the chair for two. RVD stumbles up and starts to set up a chair, but Storm hits a leg drop off the top, and RVD gets driven into the chair. Nasty-looking spot. RVD hangs in and counters a German, but takes a drop kick to the head. RVD gets a low blow, crotches Storm on the top rope, hits a springboard back elbow. He misses a little in the crowd chance you fucked up, but Joey covers for it. Storm gets a bridging German for two, lands a pair of weak chair shots to RVD's head, and he gets booed for it. RVD hits a Van Daminator and finishes him with a backflip splash. After the match, RVD gets a mic. He says he could thank Storm for having a great match on pay-per-view, but he's not here for respect. He doesn't care if anyone respects him, including Paul Paul Heyman. He sold out to himself by getting in the ring tonight after being chosen as a second-line fill-in. RVD's not second-line anything. He swallowed his pride for the business, and by beating Storm, he's worth more money in ECW and elsewhere. An interesting approach, RVD. We'll see where he goes forward with this. The crowd chance get the fuck out. So is he pay, you know, playing off that he's leaving? Is he looking for a bigger off or somewhere else? We'll see where this gimmick goes. Overall, it's a fun match. The pacing was really good. We had some unique offense. I had a really good vibe as well. Neither guy quitting, just kind of pushing through. I thought the final minute was a little clunky. Uh, the crowd turned on them, uh, but they over-delivered in general. I thought they made Storm look like a name guy. RVD was great as always. A little more time and maybe more structure. This could have really resonated more, Jenny. But I went three stars. I, I enjoyed it as a match. I enjoyed it as a showcase for Storm and to set up this new RVD gimmick. Yeah, no, I, I was just way put off by this match. I don't, it didn't feel like a fight to me. It didn't feel like, it just felt like they were doing stuff. And I, I just felt like they didn't have any chemistry. Um, RVD was trying, I think. Um, maybe it's just too much different stuff for me. Like, it's just, mm. like, none of this stuff feels right. Like, hmm. I don't know. It, it was, I thought the vibe was off. I Storm's kind of out of nowhere. Like, look, we're not, well, I, what have we done all these times? We've been building all this shit, and now Lance Storm is on this show? Where the fuck did he come? Like, I, I know it was supposed to be Candido's match and blah. I don't know, but it just, I, I just didn't have time for this, and I gave it two stars out of respect, Matt. <laughs> I uh, I'm glad RVD got on the show, but it it is kind of a bummer that it's it was this way where you, you couldn't find something for him to do where he's replacing Candido. I feel like you could have really found something for RVD. But I think to do. that's a story though. Like I think they're telling a. I guess we'll just see as it goes, but I feel like mm-hmm. they left him off the card on purpose. Right. So he could. Uh, you could argue Kayfabe makes no sense since he's one of the biggest stars. You'd want to show him, but they right. leave him off on purpose as a way to fuel this anger and make him want to leave, which mm-hmm. is going to be like the gimmick we're going to see. Right. So I, I feel like it's done for a reason and mm-hmm. not just out of laziness. Like, Oh, we just didn't want to put RVD on the card. That makes sense. Right. Uh, I feel like our RVD, once he heard the you sold out chance, just, he really turned on the swagger more than he usually mm-hmm. does. And he was really just fucking heal- healing it up. Uh, I, I thought storm really took a beating uh, at points of this match, but, 
now I'm not asking Lance Storm to hit chair shots like Devon hits chair shots, but good lord, man, put a little something behind it. It was like it was like sub Gerald Briscoe <laughs> hitting Stone yes. Cold Steve Austin level of chair shots. It was real rough, but I I did think the match was uh, was good overall. I I do think it got a little sloppy at the end, like you, but I I thought it was a, a pretty fun match overall. So I also went three stars on it. All right, Joey's back in the nest. Talks about the upcoming six-man from Michinoku Pro, the hottest-growing promotion in the world today. And it's a mix of Japanese and Lucha wrestling. So a uh, rematch from Webster that we talked about. But a slight change is Grand Aniwa was injured, unable to take place in the match now. So he does get replaced by Masato Yakashiji. And he'll be teaming with Grand Hamada and Great Sasuke, to take on Taka Michinoko, Terry Boy, and Dick Togo. Togo, Taka, and Terry, the three T's, come out with BWO shirts on. Joey says they're the Japanese contingent of the BWO and gives some background on them. Joey tells us Naniniwa was injured, so Yakashiji will take on uh, take his spot. All six in the ring, we get a boatload of streamers filling the ring. Joey puts over the fans. And the history of Michinoko Pro, which debuted in 1993, around the same time ECW launched, and they both have had a great trajectory since. Taka and Hamada start off. We get some back and forth to ease in. The crowd is all in right away as Hamada throws Taka around with ease at a good clip. Yakashiji comes in and keeps pouring it on and uh, tagging Sasuke, who barrels Taka with kicks. Taka fights off. We get a quick flurry for the BWO, battering Sasuke. They triple team him and rotate through holds and strikes. Joey says Sasuke fought Jushin Thunder Liger on the Tokyo Dome in front of 50,000 fans last night, so he may have some jet lag here. Yakashiji is in, and the BWO keeps rolling a lot of strikes and triple teams and hard slams. Terry Boy gets a great delayed corkscrew suplex for two, so BWO pushes on. Yakashiji battles back and clears out Togo, flows through offense on Taka before tagging in Hamada. Him and Terry trade big chops into a rugged headbutt from Hamada, who snaps into a Fujiwara armbar. Taka comes in, him and Terry collide, and Hamada breaks Taka down into an armbar, rattles him with a back suplex and tags Sasuke, who grinds Taka. He slips free and tags Terry. We get a super fast flurry with him and Sasuke before resetting with Taka and Yakashiji. Yakashiji knocks Terry outside and flies into a head scissors takeover. We reset with Hamada and Togo smacking each other around. Hamada hits a Frankensteiner, batters Taka as well. Sasuke works a single crab, but Taka pushes free. It's a big running forearm and stiff kick. The BWO get back to the triple team offense. They use their snap strikes to keep Sasuke contained, even breaking out their three-man pose on Sasuke's body. Terry works a spinning toe hold, but Sasuke kicks free. However, Terry comes right back with a big DDT. Taka crushes Yakashiji with a brain buster for two, and then all three BWO members murder him with a pair of top rope shots while he's at a bow and arrow. Togo mashes him with a senton splash, but Hamada comes in to save. The BWO swarm him and bury him with a spike pile driver. Yakashiji's back in, but he gets met with a vicious triple power bomb for two. They try and load Sasuke up, but they botch it. The crowd's all over them. Sasuke blocks another try with a Rana on Terry for two. Sasuke gets a springboard moonsault press for two. He's heating up. Knocks Togo outside. It's an Asai moonsault. Flops over into the crowd. Hamada goes up top with Terry, but Terry counters into a super atomic drop. Taka then comes in and flies into Hamada with a springboard plancha. Yakashiji gets two on a missile drop kick as well as a moonsault as Terry stays alive. Terry gets a swinging DDT and hits a nasty chokeslam powerbomb on Yakashiji. Togo gets a power slam on Hamada for two, but Hamada comes back with a swinging DDT. Togo comes back with a powerbomb for a near fall, slams Hamada, heads up top. Sasuke cuts him off and takes uh, Hamada takes it down to Rana. Hamada dives into Terry outside. Sasuke jams him with a chair. Yakashiji hits a top rope. Rana onto Togo, flies into him with a tope. 
Back inside, Sasuke works over Taka with kicks, and Taka gets him with a belly-to-belly throw. Taka falls with a great-looking missile dropkick and the Michinoku Driver 2 for a near fall. Taka goes up top, but Sasuke dropkicks him as he comes down, hits a moonsault press for two. Sasuke powerbombs Taka, crushes him with a rare salto suplex, and picks up the win. Great, of course. Super ahead of its time. The crowd loved it. Last episode, I said I thought the TV match made sense because it was a different audience, etc. After watching this, I could say maybe it was a mistake because 85% of this was the same. And anyone mm. who watched that on TV uh, might have had the shock lessened and not resonated as much. Mm. Um, that said, a whole new audience on pay-per-view did get to see it. So it was brand new for them and for this crowd live that hadn't watched the TV. So, you know, I get it. Again, I get why they did it. They brought them in. You might as well use them multiple times. I think I would have went the opposite route. I think I would have had him work the pay-per-view and then a match on TV after for the rematch. Mm. Um, let the pay-per-view be the first time that the world gets to see them. I think would have resonated more. Uh, that said, they broke out all kinds of wild shit. Sasuke got his win back. The BWO team looked crisper, more smooth. Sasuke, honestly, I thought looked most off out of the six. And maybe the jet lag was the thing. Uh, mm. I didn't think he was the sharpest here. Uh, but Matt went four stars. I thought it was a touch better than Webster. Um, I thought Yakashiji maybe was was an upgrade over Naniwa in there, too. He was pretty good. Um, so all in, it's still a great all-time classic for ECW, but um, there is some things you can criticize about it and the way they went about the match. Yeah, so I, I gave this match the same rating I gave the last match. I went four stars on this, too. Uh, it, it's a very similar match, like you said, but if the match is, <laughs> is great, I mean, like, it's not a lot to complain about. It's just, it's fantastic. Just the way this match just builds and builds was uh, great to watch. And, I mean, we said it on the last episode. They, they were just doing stuff you really didn't see on US TV. It, they, uh, they're different than, like, the WCW Cruiserweights or anything like that. It's it's just it's the double team and triple team moves really that stick out to me. Just the the stuff they were doing is just so innovative for the time. And it's crazy. Like I, I was fucking exhausted after watching this match. So it, it's just it's fantastic to watch. And it's just, again, nonstop. Great pace. Just it's a great match to have on this show. So, uh, yeah, four stars for me, Jenny. Yeah, I was I was really happy to see it again, honestly, and kind of souped up version. Like they changed mm-hmm. a couple things, more of the triple team um, things from the BWO, especially who are heels in this. Right? Yeah, they're mm-hmm. heels. The The Japanese BWO are heels. Stevie and crew, not so much. Right. So that, that's interesting. Um, it. it the the vibe felt more ECW in this Japanese match than it did in the previous two matches to me. Um, and it seemed like the vibe sort of came back a little bit more in the arena. So that was, it was encouraging for me to see um, and to get to see this match again. I think Terry Boy is really fucking fun to watch. <laughs> Um, he looks different, um, than the other guys and he has a swagger in the match that I thought made him the MVP of this one for me. So I did a little bit more. I did four and one quarter stars. Yeah, it was, I mean, still great. And from here, this showcase really helped them 
get on the radar of the WWF. A Canadian Stampede in July. Sasuke and Taka would have a match. The plan was they'd end up probably signing Sasuke. Uh, they fight again the next on our Raw, but it's Taka yet again, just like on this show, that really outshined him. And they ended up signing Taka to a big money deal. He would eventually bring in Terry Boy and Togo as well uh, to join in as Kai and Tai is uh, in the WWF. Sasuke ended up staying over in Japan. Um, but so the big 97 from Mishinoko Pro, and this really was the springboard to them, just like others before, right? We've seen it with Benoit Malenko, Guerrero, Mysterio, Sakosis, Juventud, Guerrero, like all these guys getting their shot here, getting noticed, and then pulled into the big promotion. So it happens with Taka, could have happened with Sasuke, and then the rest of the crew later in the year. So big, big match. This is the first time most people saw any of these guys. And we can nitpick and talk about it, but they balled out. And yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. Are we going to Stevie Richards hype video focusing on his personal growth into becoming a man? Well done. Makes him feel like a serious threat. And I'll just kind of goofy old Stevie. We then get Joey in the nest hyping up the big three-way dance. And then we get another chapter in our never-ending war between <laughs> Pitbull 2 and Shane Douglas. Douglas and Francine have a riot squad with them to add some extra protection. Shane grabs the mic and says he came back to lead everyone to the promised land, and he did. ECW's reached pay-per-view. He said he's the first man to call out other pussies from other companies. They weren't man enough to come here. He put the extreme in ECW. He's great because when he came back from the cartoon land, he said he would win a title, and he did it. He said he'd break Gary Wolf's neck while doing it, and he did. And he was man enough to defend himself when Pitbull won attacked him. We see Wolf in the crowd. He's got the neck brace on. He said he's had to deal with uh, Shane says he's had to deal with a masked man, but that stops tonight. He was man enough to survive the I quit match with Pitbull won and reduce him back to being a spectator. Uh, this is the usual strong Shane promo, final heat building in the ring. Pitbull 2 charges out. The two rivals trade heavy blows until Pitbull 2 takes over the flurry. Wrenches away at the neck in a front face lock, trying to snap it in half. Shane goes low to break it, but Pitbull 2 comes back with a side headlock. Keeps working the neck, pushing through Shane's attempts to break the grasp. Pitbull 2 hoists Shane up and crashes him on the top rope, shakes him off. Shane blocks an atomic drop, but Pitbull 2 punches him, gets an atomic drop, and lays in a hard clothesline for two. Joey knows that Gary Wolf was not cleared to be at ringside. That's why he's in the crowd. Pitbull 2 keeps working the neck and tries a powerbomb, but Shane drops back and they tumble hard to the floor. Back inside, Shane hits three pile drivers as he works the neck. Shane gets a big delayed vertical, goes to a camel clutch, but Pitbull 2 breaks free, throws Shane into the corner, hits an atomic drop and clothesline. Shane tries a cross body off the middle rope, but Pitbull 2 catches him and wobbles, so he places him back down, picks him back up, throws him over the top through a table. Pitbull 2 shoots Shane onto the railing. Gary Wolf busts through the railing and unloads on Shane until the riot squad pull him off. Pitbull 2 drags a huge piece of guardrail into the ring as the crowd chants for blood. Joey says the riot squad and Wolf have gone to the back. Shane drops Pitbull 2 on the railing, but it topples over and he just kind of grazes it. Shane dumps Pitbull 2 outside and drops the railing on his back and head. He crotches Pitbull 2 on the railing, smacks him with a chair. Joey says Shane earned his franchise name in the ring, not bungee cording from the ceiling with face paint on like a cartoon character. It's a shot at Sting, obviously. Back inside, Pitbull 2 fires up. Shrugs off punches as the crowd is turning on the match. Shane knocks Pitbull 2 down, lands some strikes. He goes up top, but Pitbull 2 catches him, puts him back on top, and Shane shoves him in the back. He leaps off, but eats a drop kick on the way down. We get a double clothesline. Both guys are up. Pitbull 2 mows him back down with a shoulder block and more strikes into a power slam. Francine gives Shane something, and Shane pops Pitbull with it and throws it away. Pitbull 2 is wobbly now, and Shane smashes a piece of table over his head for two. Shane uses a chair and the bell, but only gets near falls. He busts another table shard, but Pitbull 2 keeps powering out and eventually fires up and shoots Shane to the corner. 
Shane grabs the belt. He smacks Pitbull 2 twice in the head with it. Tries to pull out a chain, but Pitbull 2 stops him with a pump handle slam for two. Pitbull 2 has this in control, but out comes Chris Candido. He distracts him. Shane gets a roll-up for two, but Pitbull hits a clothesline. Shane recovers, hits a belly-to-belly, and wins the match. We then hear the masked man on the house mic. He says a deal's a deal, and he'll unmask, but he has to give up the girl, or Shane is going to get an ass-kicking. Out comes the masked man. He's going to Rick Rude robe on. He puts a big kiss on Francine and gyrates over her. Shane hits him with the belt. He rips the mask off, but a riot guard gets in the ring and pulls off his helmet to a big pop to reveal himself. The masked man then takes his, uh, to reveal himself to be Rick Rude. The masked man then takes his mask off, and we find out it's Brian Lee, who mashes Douglas with a primetime slam. It looks like the triple threat is done as Brian Lee has turned face. Rick Rude gyrates and celebrates with Lee. Uh, pretty good swerve. I thought it was the best part of the match, honestly. Uh, we'll see where things go with Lee. They reveal if Rude was good not being under the mask tonight. Uh, and I'm fine. I'm happy to finally get him out of the mask. Uh, I thought this is pretty not good, actually. It was slow. It was boring. The crowd was not into it. Uh, it was lacking all the fire we usually got from these guys. You could argue, and we talked about it last episode, this feud maybe went a month too long. Uh, the heat wasn't quite there. And the heat was really on Pitbull 1. We talked about it. Not as much Pitbull 2. Pitbull 2 put on some great matches with the TV title on the line earlier in, in 96. But at this point, like, everyone wanted Pitbull 1 to get the revenge. But the problem was Douglas wasn't going to lose. Like, it just wasn't going to happen. So mm-hmm. it was almost like, all right, well, what are we doing? If the Pitbulls just keep losing to this guy, should we just do something else? Should we have had a tag maybe where Lee turns and against the Pitbulls, Lee turns and, and that then they lose? Something like that maybe would have been better. Pitbull 2 seemed really off. He was stumbling through all his spots. He botched a lot. He seemed two steps behind. Just lacked a lot of intensity and aggression. It felt like going through the motions, and it hurt. Pitbull won the, the fight outside of the post-match are good. We'll see where Rude goes. We'll see if the triple threat is dead or if Lee gets replaced. Uh, but, Jenny, this is disappointing. I want to star in three quarters. Dude, what happened? Mm. Like, because what you were just saying, like, yeah, it went on for a while, but they did find these little ways to, like, you know, brutalize um, Pibble's neck. So, like, with the ropes and Francine and blah, blah. So they were, like, you know, they were doing it. Like, we were ready for it. And we had the heat. Everybody was hot. And then we get here and choke city. Everybody fucking sucks. What happened? I don't know. Mm. Is it the lights? This more so than the others, though. This this yeah. really felt off. Like, Pitbull yep. 2 seemed way over his head in this match. Yeah. And he seemed kind of checked out. Like, I don't know. Maybe, he's just, maybe he was on some substance. Maybe he was mad he was losing. Or maybe just a bad night. But he just seemed way more off than normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I got angry. I got so fucking angry. You got Francine over there. What, why aren't you using her? Like, mm. she's she's very good at this. And I, I don't know. It was, I just, I hated it. And I, I gave it a star and a half, but I, I didn't want to, Matt. Yeah, this uh, this was uh, this was real disappointing. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, the crowd was really kind of dead for this. And I think it speaks to how this feud is long past its expiration date and how, like you said, the heat was on Pitbull one, not Pitbull two. We've seen Pitbull two and Shane. And, you know, this was the spot where it was supposed to be Pitbull one getting his comeuppance. Like, even if you do a non-title match because, you know, you can't have a guy with a broken neck win a title. Something. You could have found something to do a, a Pitbull one match here, but yeah, the crowd uh, 
rains down on this match with boring chants. It's just, it's real bad. It's real boring. Like they've had amazing matches with each other before. And like, I think the, one of the last matches they had, we, I think we all went like four stars on it Mm -hmm. and this didn't even fucking come, come close to that. So it's just, and God bless Joey, because on commentary, he was great. And he was tr- he was trying to make this sound like an epic. And it absolutely was not. And I mean, they were in a tough spot because of the banger of a six man tag they just mm-hmm. had. But this this wouldn't have been good in any spot. Uh, I don't right. think it's it's a slog of a match and it's a rough way to end the feud that's carried on a lot of the past year. And uh, yeah, so I went a star and a half on this too. Just super disappointing. Just a honestly, just a bummer of a match. <laughs> yeah, I like Shane a lot. Yeah, go Jenny. No, I just I don't know. Was, just what did we do all this for? Like, mm. <laughs> it feels like we just wasted all this time. I don't know. Well, I mean, we still got a convincing finish. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. It was more, I think, just a bad match. Like, it just happens. Like, I don't think it erases all the work we've put into this point. It's that they had an off night. I, I will say this is the closest Shane felt. It's like a modern-day Triple H situation because, like, mm-hmm. ended up going probably too long, too plodding. And uh, he was never going to lose, even though he probably should have lost. So, to me, that's more of the why we're doing this again. If he couldn't lose, it's just a continuing to beat the pit bulls mm-hmm. for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um you have a whole team full of guys with the triple threat. Why not let Pitbull one get his, even if he stands on the apron for a lot of the match and gets the hot tag. Mm-hmm. I, I think thinking back, I would have done Pitbulls versus Douglas and Lee. And then you could have Lee still turn, mm-hmm. do the swerve with rude. And he, he choked Sam Shane. It's a tag. So the TV tells not in the line. Shane can take the loss. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes a, lot, a little bit better. The Pitbulls get the win, but then you still get the rude reveal. Like it's, it would have felt a little bit better. This just felt like, well, Shane's ECW is a franchise. He's going to win. He can't lose to the fucking pit bulls. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it felt like it just felt like it was known before the match. Even the bell rang that Shane, there's no way Shane was losing here right. on this in this moment. And then to have the far bomb of the match on top of it mm-hmm. didn't help. It was just too long. And uh, yeah, it just it just it just seemed off, just seemed off. So it would have been better maybe as like a sprint with a with pit bull to just destroy him. Even if he sneaks out the win at the end, just have Pitbull to crush him for like five minutes. Give me something. Like the Pitbull's going to get any revenge. Right. They didn't, no. It just was nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Ravens in the back. He talks about Terry Funk wanting to prove himself as a hardcore legend to win the title tonight. And fans have tuned in to see a bitter has been take out his hated nemesis. But a 10% of the fans here to rage against the machine and raise their arms as martyrs for the dysfunctional society to see Raven win. Taz is with Bill Alfonso. He gives us final warnings to Sabu. The time is now. They run down the list of guys that Taz has choked out. Bam Bam Bigelow, Paul Valens, Tuco sure. Scorpio, Rob Van Dam, Chris Jericho, Sabu is about to be next. Uh, one last great promo by Taz, who, as we've talked about, has just carried this on his back on the mic. And we're finally here. Years in the making. Taz versus Sabu. Uh, I was a bit surprised it wasn't the main event, honestly, with all the yeah. hype coming. Yeah. Um, what are we doing? I know ECW, well, I know ECW values the world title and the story they end up building is like a fitting finale as well. So it was, I could see why it was a tough choice, but it did catch me off guard. I thought for sure this would close the show, um, given the whole paper he was built on the back of it. But uh, it is an ECW dream match. It's prevent, presented as such. 
Taz does his full intense entrance. Sabu just runs out, no music, ready to go. <laughs> Love it. Uh, we start with a big stare down as the crowd is fully engaged. Taz starts the action with a slap, and away we go. He rattles Sabu with a hard clothesline. He bails out to regroup. Taz pours it on when Sabu comes back in. He tries to the Taz mission. Sabu goes to a headlock as Joey says, no one's ever blocked the Taz mission. We get a quick flurry of counters on control holds. Taz gets an ankle lock. He twists into a body scissors, hits some stiff cross faces. Sabu's busted open from those shots. Taz goes in on the cut with more strikes. Sabu pulls it together. It's a pair of drop kicks and knocks Taz outside. Sabu follows and shoves Taz into the crowd. It's a triple jump dive into him with a big pop. They fight through the fans and scrap at each other before getting back to ringside where Sabu misses a springboard dive, careens into the barricade. Taz clotheslines him back over it. Back inside, Taz grinds Sabu down. They slug away with Taz regaining control into a body scissors armbar combo. Sabu wriggles free, gets a somersault leg drop, follows with a nasty chair throw to the face. Looked like it really hurt. Sabu sets up the chair and hits a springboard leg lariat, but misses the second one. Taz flapjacks him onto the chair, gets a spine buster and stomps away, but Sabu pulls him to the floor, whiffs on a springboard dive, and slams into the railing again. Taz suplexes him into the third row. Back inside, Taz directs Team Taz to set up a table bridge, but Sabu slugs him and puts him on it instead. Taz gets up to block a springboard dive, fights off a swinging DDT, and drops Sabu through the table. Taz's rehab shoulders banged up as they battle back in the ring. Sabu gets two on a top rope Rana, follows with a springboard leg drop off the top. It went a long distance on that one, looked pretty good. Taz rolls outside, slugs at Sabu, comes back with a head and arm Taz plex, but Sabu counters a T-bone and mocks Taz, but then Taz hooks the transmission to a pop. Taz, I'm sorry, Sabu hooks the transmission to a pop. Taz easily counters and crushes Sabu with a back suplex. Taz hits the T-bone and goes to the transmission in the middle of the ring, and Sabu gives up. Shocking finish as Taz gets the win of his career, beating Sabu clean as a sheep. Taz gets the mic. He says Sabu gave him the fight of his life, and he respects Sabu, as hard as it is to say. And if Sabu ever wants a rematch, he has it. And then Taz shakes his hand. Sabu raises his hand. They hug. Pretty cool moment. But out comes Rob Van Dam. He crushes Taz from behind. Sabu briefly has words with RVD, but then saves RVD from Taz attacking. And they work him over the double team, including an Arabian face buster. They hit a springboard splash through a table bridge. He botches it twice and just kind of falls into it. Maybe he was a little <laughs> ambitious after this match. Sabu puts the Taz mission on, and then him and RVD celebrate. Fonzie gets in the ring. He rips off his Taz shirt and shows he has a Sabu shirt under it. And he raises RVD and Sabu's hands as we have a big shift. Fonzie then rants at Taz. He said he bet all his money on Sabu, and Taz cost him. Such a great fucking ridiculous philosophy for Fonzie. <laughs> RVD brags himself up. He says everyone needs to respect his family. And that Fonzie knows the schedule, and he says he likes to work Mondays. Joey calls RVD a traitor. Fonzie says he wasted a whole year of his life on Taz. And that's that. Uh, I'll say this. There was no way in hell they could ever live up to the hype. It was impossible to give him the film. <laughs> they had no chance. But I think it did deliver really well. It was clunky to start. They got revved up and moving from there. Taz wrestled his match, used a suplex game, and put this away. I thought it was a strong stuff. It was a payoff to all the build. They're in on this Taz mega push, choking out Sabu clean, shakes his hand to show the respect. I like the double turn. I think Sabu is actually way less uh, likable in this whole thing. So I think Taz being the face as like the nonstop, just badass makes way more sense. Unless Sabu kind of be the prick who leaves for Japan all the time. RVD being the guy that may be selling out to WF for WCW, blatantly bragging about working Monday nights. And Fonzie's a prick that can help talk for them, um, whereas Taz doesn't need him really as much. So we'll see where things goes. 
uh, where things go from here. I think Taz and RVD came out looking the strongest of this, honestly. Uh, that all said, I went three and a half. I don't know what the ceiling could have been for these guys. Like, I don't, if you really break it down, their styles don't exactly mesh because Taz isn't the type to go have like a big garbage brawl. And Sabu is at his best in that stuff, right? He's not at his best on working mat hold. So I think there's a reason they only go 13 minutes uh, ish. And I think there's a reason why the match went the way it did. I'm happy Taz won clean mat. I just think they, they set so much hype and expectation. It was going to be really hard to go out there and put on like an all-time classic, but it did deliver as a moment. And I think doing this angle at the end was important too, to help add the importance to it all. So I'm right there with you. I went three and a half on this too, but I'm, I'm a, on a little bit different spot than you. I, I do feel like a three and a half was kind of underwhelming. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting five stars out of these guys by any stretch, but I feel like, I don't know, four stars given 18 months of hype, however long it's been. I feel like that's not that high of an ask. And maybe it's me. Maybe I had expectations set too high. But I feel like, especially like at the beginning of the match, besides like the slap, it didn't feel like more like a fight. Like they're just kind of trading, trading wrestling holds back and forth. And I mean, Taz legitimately said he wants to kill Sabu, you know? So I I feel like they could have leaned more into that. Well, no, he said he wanted to, but I think he said he wanted to beat him and choke him out was his main goal. And he did those two things. Okay. Well, well, that may change my mind a little bit, but still, I don't know. I I feel like just with how heated it's, it's been and, you know, all the pull apart brawls on all the house shows, like it should have felt like more of a fight to me. And it eventually got Mm -hmm. there. Like I I thought the second half of the match was good, but I feel like the first half uh, kind of hurt it. I I really like the finish where Sabu uses Taz's moves and then Taz gets so pissed off that he just stopped fucking around in the end of the match. I I thought that was a great finish. And I, I like the double turn. Like, Like you said, I think Sabu is better as a heel and Taz is a fucking badass like uh, I feel like a lot of the crowd is cheering for Taz anyway so why not just turn him and Fonzie is such a shitbag it makes sense to put him with Sabu so uh, I also went three and a half on it but uh, I do feel like it's a little disappointing Jenny yeah yeah I'm gonna be uh in the disappointed camp um the face-to-face moment it's like yeah Y'all already been tying up. Like, y'all, why? Sabu had the right idea. He just came out, no music, bam, let's fight. And then then, then they wanted to look at each other for a little bit. And then they wanted to bitch slap each other for a little bit. So it just automatically, I was like, no, that's not what I wanted. But then Sabu got his nose broken, like, pretty early in the match. Um, His nose just bleeds all over the place for most of this match, which I like that. I like Sabu's toughness i like that he is insane and he never stops and even if he fucks up a little spot he'll turn around trying to do that shit again because he's quick and he can um but and i just i don't i think they could have i think they could have done reached the hype level i think they could have and i just feel like they left they got so wrapped up in like the end and like the turn and the double turn that i feel like they left out some of the juice for the match does that make sense like 
Yeah, maybe. I just I, I just think their natural styles collide. Like, I think the mystique of Sabu and Taz wanted to take him out was a good, in theory, like, choice to match up. But when you really look at their in-ring styles, like, have we ever seen Taz have the type of garbage, crazy brawl that, like, Sabu excels at? Like, he's never really done it. And we never really see Sabu. I think it's more like Sabu could have done the ground and pound type of match with Taz. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, could it have been more? I'm not saying like three and a half was their max. I just think there was no way it was ever going to be like an all-time five-star classic. That is not. How could it not be? I mean, like, we see matches with Styles clashes all the time that somehow, you know, find a way to work. And... We've but we also have never this. really seen a five-star match in ECW. Like, what is a five-star match in ECW, you know? It's not this, for sure. And no, definitely not. <laughs> the build was five But that's what I'm saying. Like, to me, it takes away. Like, it, it takes away from what what we've done just because... Uh, why didn't we question this before? Why didn't, in all of the months that we've been analyzing the situation, not another three of us have said, I don't know, I don't think this is going to work because their styles are too different. That's why we wanted to see the match. That and all the hate. So, I don't know, I just, I feel like they, they didn't really do it for me. They didn't, they didn't stick the landing for me. I mean, it was still a good match, but I just, Maybe it was me and the expectation. No, I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I think I'm not saying I wasn't disappointed. I just I don't think it was ever going to be like a ton more than this. I also think Taz delivered on his promises, which always were. He wanted to prove he was better than Sabu. He was going to beat Sabu clean and choke him out. Um, he, he didn't hate him like he hates him, but it's because he wants to prove he can beat him after Sabu is everything he doesn't like. I think what the post match does is set us up for potential rematches which will have more hate because now it's more personal, right? Like, right. But now I don't trust them to give me anything like that. I want like, look, this was your fucking shot. Yeah. <laughs> what? Why do I want to get more involved with you now? Because I don't know. You were very disappointing to me. So, do <laughs> so you think there's a chance people maybe came away from this pay-per-view like, and said, I'm done. Like, uh, I'm curious. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to back you in anything. I'm, I'm being serious. Like, Forget new timers, right? Because they wouldn't know the build and all this. So, I mean, like, if you're a long-time ECW watcher, like we've been, you know, in theory, mm-hmm. and you watch us, like, you think there's a decent chance people were turned off enough to, like, bail out? Or do you think they did enough to say, okay, like, you know, whatever, it delivered enough? I th- They're probably going to just begrudgingly say, all right, fine. And go along just like I will because I don't have a choice at this point but it takes away the from the experience I, I don't know it just I don't know and, and the, the Fonzie part of it too what the fuck like and I knew that something was up with him because he wasn't blowing that goddamn whistle the whole match like he usually does and even mm-hmm. Joey said something about him seeming subdued so I was like what are they gonna do with Fonzie None of that shit made sense to me. I'm like, wait, what do you mean? He bet money on Sabu to win this whole time? I think it's just Fonzie being a nut, but no, I think I think it was a setup for Sabu, RVD, and Fonzie. I mean, I think it was pre-planned, and he just used that as his, you know, 
because he's fucking crazy and always rants about massages and money and all this other stuff. But I don't think he turned in the spur of the moment because he's mad he lost a bet. You know what I mean? Well, then that gives Fonzie way too much fucking credit and foresight and intelligence than I want to give him. So, <laughs> well, no. I mean, no maybe he turned in the moment. I don't know. Maybe. I could be wrong. The t-shirt and all that. What? what? Definitely not. I mean, if he had the t-shirt on, he clearly, it was clearly premeditated. Yeah, I mean, that so gives I'll, away. That. It, and I don't know. I'm just like, I, what? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm pissed because everything's changing. Just like I knew it would. Like, that Fonzie's turning. Like, what are we doing? Everything seems off and different and not as good. Okay. All right. That's good. So where we go. Joey brings out Tommy Dreamer. He joins him in the booth for the next match. Beulah's there, too. The crowd welcomes her by chanting, show your tits. We then get to our number one contenders match. These three men will face in a three-way dance to see who faces Raven at the end of the night. As Stevie Richards, Terry Funk, and Sandman all come out to battle over this title shot. The BWO in full pours in the ring. They now have a Dennis Rodman cosplayer with them as things continue to grow. <laughs> Sandman gets his usual long full entrance. He ambles down the aisle, busts himself over with a can. Funk heads out last, trying to complete his mission that he laid out when he returned. Sandman spits beer on Stevie after the intros. We get rolling with all three laying in strikes, hard chops, and clotheslines alternating back and forth. Stevie gets two on a roll up. Sandman and then uh, on Sandman and then Funk goes for a spinning toehold, but Stevie busts it up, and he and Sandman alternate elbows on Funk. Tommy says he promised Funk he would not get involved tonight. Sammy gets a back suplex on Stevie. Funk rattles him with four neck breakers in a row, but only gets a two count. Sammy gets a ladder, throws him in the ring, and it slams off Funk's head, and then he suplexes it on Stevie. Sandman slams the ladder on Funk for two. Sandman DDT Stevie for two. He's just taking control. He scales the ladder, but Funk meets him at the top. They trade strikes, and then Funk tries a moonsault on Stevie, but barely grazes him with his foot. Sandman comes off the top of the ladder, slams it hard onto Stevie. Joey gets in a dig on the WF and WCW, calling him cheap invitations, and then names out the BWO, and we officially find out that the guy's name is Thomas the Inchworm Rodman, which is great. <laughs> Sandman slams Stevie on the funk, on Funk for two. Sandman sets up the ladder on the corner, but Stevie whips him into it. Stevie and Sandman continue to beat on Funk, who keeps kicking out and staying alive. Funk comes battling back with the ladder, whips it into both guys like a tornado. Tommy has not really added much of commentary, just random comments about how great this match is. Stevie and Sandman slug away, but Stevie comes off the top and seesaws the ladder into both guys. He hits Stevie kicks on Sandman and Funk, but they both kick out. Joey reminds us that Tommy's never pinned Raven. Tommy says his day is coming. Sandman dives off the apron and seesaws the ladder into Stevie, who's in the crowd, which seemed very risky. Uh, almost killed someone. <laughs> Funk mashes Sandman. And Stevie with a chair ringside, drags Stevie back inside, gets a corkscrew suplex, but Sandman chucks a heavy trash can over the top rope right onto Funk. That looks like it hurts. Sandman bashes Stevie with the can. Him and Funk suplex Stevie through it for two. They spike pile drive Stevie. Funk puts the ladder on Stevie and slingshots Sandman onto him, but Stevie kicks out. Sandman comes off the top, seesaws the ladder into Stevie, but the ladder flies out of the ring, and now it goes toward the fans. <laughs> Sandman kind of seems to block it and save them. Funk spikes a chair at Sandman and gets two on Stevie. Sandman returns. Him and Funk get double power bombs, and they finally eliminate Stevie, who did not really get a ton of offense. He kind of did what he always does. He takes a big shit kicking and hangs mm -hmm. in to stay alive. He felt like he belonged. I'll say that. Funk dumps Sandman outside into Stevie, but Sandman grabs some barbed wire. They head back inside, and Funk wipes Sandman out, whips him with the wire until Sandman hits him with the can. Sandman wraps himself in the wire and runs into Funk, goes up top, and it's a top row leg drop for two. Funk puts a trash can on Sandman's head, smacks him around, and then Stevie shows up and Stevie kicks the can and Funk moonsaults onto the trash can to win the match. 
and the shot at Raven. Uh, this was intense. There's a lot of big weapon shots. They worked the three-man style well. I thought Sandman looked the best, honestly, of the whole match. He controlled the pace and the flow. He really kind of drove them through it. Stevie belonged, but really kind of looked at like the job boy of the three. Uh, Funk was always the choice. You know, we've seen Sandman Raven a million times. I don't think they positioned Stevie well enough in this match to be the choice. So if he was going to win, they would have had to really orchestrate it a little bit differently. I think Funk climbing the mountain to get back to this chance was the best way to go. So good for them on, on that call. Uh, it was a long match, too. They gave us a lot of time. Uh, I went three and a half stars, Matt. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Three and a half stars. Uh, I, I really liked uh, a lot of the double team moves in this. I thought they all looked really good. Uh, all the, the ladder based offense was really well done. Funk doing the airplane spin on the ladder while hitting everybody will always pop me. Uh, I thought this was the best Funk has looked since he's debuted. I thought he looked great in this and his selling was uh, just amazing. Uh, the, the trash can wrapped in steel was uh, also something mm-hmm. and Funk just gets clocked by it right in the back of the head. Uh, it was a bit sloppy at points, but it was super fun to watch. And uh, the other thing I'll say too, is I feel like uh, Stevie was, uh, I, I don't want to say kind of an afterthought, but he, I feel like he didn't do all that much in this match. He basically just yeah. got the shit kicked out of him. And I, I feel like the elimination really came out of nowhere. And he just kind of felt like an afterthought to uh, Sandman and uh, Terry, but uh, still a really great match. I like uh, Funk hitting two moonsaults, one off a ladder and then one onto a trash can <laughs> fucking psychopath. So uh, yeah, uh, three and a half stars for me, Jenny. This is like where we finally start feeling some heart. Uh, well, me anyway. Um, because I, I like this. This is really good. I like Sandman's long-ass intro. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he did full-on bleeding before the match even starts. I loved him using the ladder as much as he did. Um, Stevie, he I think he did all right. You know, I think he did what he was meant to do. Bump around. Um, and it took both of them to get him out. So I did enjoy that detail. Um, at least. Maybe an afterthought, but at least, you know, they had to team up to get him out. Um, Funk was crazy. That freaking moonsault off the ladder, the Mm -hmm. shittiest moonsault I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It was so bad, but I I was kind of digging it. That that sloppiness, you know? I don't know. Um, It was just so brutal and went on and on. Long-ass match. Yeah. the barbed wire wrapped in streamer. Was that intentional or like did some get tangled under the ring? But I really like the the ribbon and the <laughs> effect on the barbed wire. It was very festive um, for such a brutal um, weapon. And then they just kept using it. Sandman wrapped himself in it and smashed his body on others' bodies with the fucking barbed wire so hell yes to all that i love salmon this match and that trash can um that hit funk in the head i thought it was gonna knock his head off um so i'm at three and three quarter stars for this uh not a shock for funk to win either and that went 19 minutes so they did give him a lot of time uh tasabu was actually almost 18 i said 13 and Shane Pitbull was 2043. Oh, uh, and it felt like an hour, 2043. Yeah. Sure uh, but they have given all the matches a lot of time. Like the yeah. Michinoko match got 17. 
RVD Storm got 10. The opener was only six, but that was fine as a sprint. So um, they did give, you know, the big matches a, a lot of time um, because you can almost the way they do it. It's like these last two matches are almost one, you know, mm-hmm. one match. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. like 27 all in. So mm-hmm. um, because our world title match is next. Ravens music hits immediately as soon as Funk wins, like the music hits yep. and he's in the ring belt. Uh, so we have Raven versus Terry Funk for the ECW world title. Raven beats on him with the belt. Uh, kicks away at the now bloodied funk. Tommy says he can't talk. He asks Joey to leave him alone. So can <laughs> <laughs> the God, blood I'm is dying. pouring. <laughs> See, leave me alone, Joey. I'm busy. Uh, the blood is pouring <laughs> all over funk. Joey says they may have to stop the match. The doctors come in. They check on funk. It's the crowd chance for Tommy. But Tommy says he promised funk he would not get involved. The match continues as Raven is slugging at the open cut. They spill outside. Raven drops a table on funk, puts him on it, slides in the ring, and barrels back out with a senton to put funk through it. The doctor checks on Funk, but Raven punches him, too. Joey says ECW is back on pay-per-view on August 17th. Some big news that they sneak in there. Yeah. Uh, Re- Reggie Bennett shows up out of nowhere. Uh, I don't know if we see her after this. We haven't seen her before, that's for sure. She bashes Funk with a chair and a powerbomb. Joey says she's the newest member of the Nest. Raven gets a mic, says he's going to put Funk through three tables and end his career as Tommy watches. The Nest stacks up tables, and the Big Dick Dudley shows up and hits Tommy with a trash can and does the Raven pose. Raven DDTs the ref as Dick tries to choke Sam Tommy off the Nest. He counters and throws Dick through the table stack to a big pop, which is a great moment. Tommy keeps beating on Dick and clean ha- cleans house on the Nest, throws the trash can at Raven. Tommy gets in the ring and DDTs Raven, and Funk crawls over and covers, but only gets a close two-fall, two fall. <laughs> Near fall, near fall for two. Uh, the bell even rings. Uh, a moment later, <laughs> Funk blocks the DDT and gets an inside cradle for the win and the title to a massive pop. I don't know if they botched the finish there, but they definitely mm. took some steam away from, by having the bell ring mm-hmm. and then end mm-hmm. a second later. Uh, the bloodied Funk and Tommy celebrate in the fans with the title. Uh, I'll say this. This is how you book a clusterfuck upset. There's a ton of chaos. Raven empties the bag of tricks. Tommy finally gets one over on him. His plans fall apart. Funk pulls the upset. Uh, I was okay with Funk not beating McLean or anything. I mean, he just went through a 20-minute war. Like, it's okay that Tommy helped him win here, fighting off the nest. Mm. Uh, I will say it's an ECW thing sometimes where they do this shit that doesn't make, like, no one knew about. Like, oh, that's Reggie Bennett. Like, uh, who the fuck is that? Mm -hmm. Why is she here? Uh, We probably didn't need that at this moment. Um, Same thing with Big Dick Dudley. Like, Dudley's still with Raven. Like, that didn't fully make sense either. Um, so I think we just, we're low on nest guys. So why not say Raven mind control them for the night, I guess, or something, but, um, you know, Funk pulling the upset, cashing in his goals to win the title here in his final run. It was fun. It was a garbage sprint to the wild finish. Tommy getting involved felt earned after the nest got there and we'll see where Funk goes as champion, but it's a major shift to top ECW. The belt is off Raven. I think they had to do it. I, I don't think Raven could leave this show as champion with all this hype. So Jenny went three and a quarter. Uh, only seven minutes, but again, like Funk had already gone 20. It's a chaotic brawl, and they're running out of time. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but what did you think of the match? Boy, it's tough. Um, <laughs> I, I like it's oh, okay. I like how the crowd chants for Tommy. Like, obviously, you know, they want Tommy to get involved, and so do I, honestly. I love him being so upset that he can't even deal um, because, you know, he's going to get involved. Uh, I don't know who Reggie Bennett is, so um, I was like, okay. He's a wrestler from Japan, right, Matt? I mean, that's. I I had to look her up because I had no fucking clue who she was. (laughs) 
I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, she worked for All Japan. Um, I, I think this is it. Like, I mean, it says the night after. Yeah, she was at the banquet. She spoke at the banquet honoring Terry Funk, and then turns on him here. She actually okay. retires um, in one. But this is it. Like, okay. she doesn't do anything else, I don't think. Uh, it's just, it's just super off-putting, yeah, for mm-hmm. for this little run-in. Like, it really killed the flow for me, because it just really took me out. Um, and then Big Dick, like, okay, another big return, I guess. Right. And then they awkwardly grapple over who's doing the choke slam and then end up with the worst mm-hmm. choke slam I've ever seen. <laughs> it was awesome because it goes to the, the three tables, but getting there, ooh, okay. It's tough because I feel like they would have used Lee in this spot, but because he had turned face, yeah, um, he couldn't be like the guy for hire now in this mm-hmm. match. Right. I don't know who else could have done it. Like, I guess Dick makes sense because they, they have the history of Raven mind controlling the Dudleys. It just hasn't been that for a while. No. Like, I, I wish they had done something on TV where Tommy, um, like, got involved with someone like Big Dick that set this up. Or maybe, what if Douglas comes out here because they were in that tag on TV? Like, mm-hmm. someone that would have just made sense on some level. Or maybe RVD and Sabu trying to wreak havoc. You know what I mean? Like, would have made more sense. So this, this just felt like all right, who's left at the bottom of the roster that can interfere yes. on Raven's staff? Yes, it felt like just just the absolute leftovers and then randos that I have no idea who is. So it, it's just all of this whole unsettling feeling about all the right. changes that's happening. And then di- didn't we just do a retirement banquet for Funk like last night? And then well, the well no, it was an honor. It was honoring his career. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't sure. a retirement. Joey said it could be a retirement banquet if he lost. Right. So, but instead of that, he's going to be the champ now, which, what does that even look like? Like, I don't know. It makes me feel weird. And I mean, do jo- you think Raven would win? I don't he know. Has I, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I just. You, you can't leave this picture after all this hype with him beating these three guys. You know what I mean? Like, they had to do it. Okay. I think so. I mean, I could be wrong. I, I feel like they had to leave with a new champion to make this show. Yeah, but, it. like, is he hanging around? Funk? Yeah, why yeah. not? I don't know. <laughs> He's in and out. Everybody's in and out. You know? But I went three stars overall, Matt. Yeah, uh, chaos is the best way to describe this whole thing. It's just, I feel like it's barely a match. Like, the the match itself Mm. lasts, like, three minutes, and then as soon as Raven grabs the mic, it's just complete and utter chaos, and Funk's just laying there dead for, like, four minutes until he rolls up up Raven. Uh, Funk was a fucking mess during this. That uh, blade job he did was uh, real Mm -hmm. nasty. Uh, I I love the touch of Dreamer on commentary saying, I I just can't call a match. I have to watch this. Leave me, leave me the fuck alone, Joey. Please, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm having a moment. Stop it. <laughs> it's just, it's so great. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting that Funk wins. I mean, Funk is uh, 53, 
and th- this is ECW, you know, is he going to, you know, is he going to be full time? Is he going to be doing, you know, like matches every week? We'll see. And I, I don't know if he's going to be on like a Brock Lesnar schedule or something. So it, it's it's going to be interesting to see there. And uh, the finish was real wonky I, to a chaotic match. And like you said, I, I think it kind of uh, took away from it a little bit. And then you had the random thing with Reggie Bennett. Like I like I said before, I legit had to look up who I forgot she even interfered in this match number one and, and number two i had to look her up because i had no idea <laughs> who she was yeah, that, that made no sense to me at all like yeah like it's the i would i wear that peach just show back up you know like if yes, something, like, please something like it didn't make sense to have her show up like part of me wonder these all come out just right. they're believable let the dudleys all come out because we know that they're at least loosely aligned so bubba and devon attack in the ring and then it makes sense that dick shows up you know like, uh, part of me wonders, because she spoke at the banquet the night before, so part of me wonders if she was, like, a friend of Terry Funk, and Terry yeah, personally, yeah. personally requested that she interfere in this match. Or they like, thought she was going to hang around. I mean, maybe they figured, like, it would be a swerve because it's his friend from Japan. Right. She turns on him and joins the Nest, mind control. Because Joey said she's the newest member of the Nest, so maybe right. they thought she was hanging around, and then for whatever reason she doesn't. Yeah, it's just a, a super weird choice, not not necessary for this match. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's a great moment. The crowd goes ape shit for Funk winning. So uh, yeah, it was uh, not much of a match, but it was all about uh, the story and had enough bells and whistles to keep things entertaining. So I went three stars on it. And I think Funk's going to stick around. I mean, this isn't a promotion that can get away with like not having their top guy around. So I think mm-hmm. I think he'll be on. I think he'll be there. Will he have a long reign? I, I would guess not. I'm guessing mm-hmm. he will probably um, have a short run with the belt, which is fine. This is about the moment. It was about, right. mm-hmm. you know, ending this first big pay-per-view with an all-time classic moment of Terry Funk capturing his dream and Graven's reign of terror, which, you know, should have never ended the first time, right, because of the rehab. So this should have really ended, like, his, you know, whatever, year-long reign or whatever it would have right. been without that blip yep. in the middle. Um, to finally unseat him and take the belt on behalf of ECW as the elder statesman of extreme. You know, he was here toward the beginning, right? Even though he left for a bit. So mm-hmm. I think the story of him winning at the first pay-per-view made sense. Uh, a few notes on this. So the pay-per-view itself earned 66,000 and just in ticket sales, uh, it had a buy rate of 0.26, which is about just over a hundred thousand buys. So, I mean, not bad for a fledging mm-hmm. promotion like this. And a lot of people knew about nationwide. The, uh, I mentioned Beyond the Map before, which actually kind of chronicles this a little bit. Um, and they do show the emotional pre-show speech by Paul Heyman. Uh, the speech is as follows. There are 17 million homes that have availability for the show tonight that will pay $20 for the privilege to see you do what you've done for three and a half years. You can thank Terry Funk for all he's done for this company. He put us on the map for being unselfish and selfish times and for taking the young guys and showing them the better way. Tonight we have a chance to say, yeah, you're right, we're too extreme, we're too wild, we're too out of control, we're too full of our own shit. Or we have a chance to say, hey, fuck you, you're wrong, fuck you, we're right, because you've all made it to the dance. Because believe me, this is the dance. And I don't do it justice at all. You have to watch Beyond the Mat to see. And you can see why these guys may have been too hyped, (laughs) ready to run through a wall, as Heyman really hyped the shit out of them because he tried to get them fired up. Uh, Part of the story goes, too, that like as soon as – that main event ended like the feed cut out because they Mm -hmm. ran out of satellite time, which I think is why that match was probably only seven minutes. Other stuff did go long. Um, And that's why the post show celebration, like just kind of cuts when they're in the crowd. So 
Um, just so some lingering news and notes there on the pay-per-view. Um, all right, let's get to our awards. Uh, best match for me was the Michinoka Pro six-man. Yep. Yes, agreed. All right, worst match, very clearly, Shane Douglas and Pitbull, too. No, yes. Yeah. Uh, best moment, I went with Terry Funk winning the world title. Mm-hmm. I guess so. Most 90s, I went the fan that had the Carolina Panthers Kerry Collins jersey in the yep. in the crowd. That, yep. <laughs> that guy, he's always there every time I see him. I got to mention him. <laughs> Any of you, Jenny? No. Okay. Uh, stock rising, a uh, good handful here. The Eliminators, Rob Van Dam, the Michinoka Pro guys, Taz, Funk, and Sandman. I thought Sandman was great. I thought he really carried that. He through, was, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Any differences? You good? No, I think that's everybody. That sounds right. All right, stock falling. I went poor sign guy who was wiped out <laughs> to the pay-per-view. Uh, Pitbull too, just not a good night. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'll toss Douglas on here, though I don't. I think he did better than Pitbull too. Um, still didn't help carry things. And then Big Dick just showed up and got thrown <laughs> off a stack of tables. Fucking Fonzie. <laughs> Fonzie. Reggie Bennett. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, Reggie Bennett. All right. I think I'm going to be high on this based on uh, our discussions. But look, I think at the end of the day, they delivered. I think if you were a fan watching this at the time, you would have walked away happy. You saw Terry Funk win the world title. You saw all the top stars go at it. Yes, there's some disappointing stuff in there. But Taz and Sabu was still a moment. You had the big turn. Um, and if nothing else, if you're an ECW homer, your promotion delivered on pay per view. Like this show whether you were disappointed or not to me was good enough to say like, okay, they deserve to be a pay-per-view based company going forward. Like they deserve another shot at this where the, maybe the nerves were a little bit high. Maybe they overthought some stuff, but like they proved that they could deliver a quality pay-per-view outing. So to me, it's a good watch. It's a fun watch. It's an easy watch outside of that Douglas match. And they delivered on what they were aiming to deliver on, uh, so all that boils down to me going eight out of ten on this show. Oh, what? <laughs> yep. I can't do it. I can't. I I, I mean, it's not about. To, I, I, they did deliver, like, on the promise of becoming a promotion that is, you know, doing real things and real pay per views, and but it, it's watered down i don't know like it doesn't i don't know it feels like uh like the vanilla i mean it's not quite vanilla but it just feels like they've sort of given up a little bit of its heart in order to seem legit or mm-hmm. as a successful promotion like there's a little bit of a spark that I feel like has dimmed and maybe it was the nerves or whatever, but I I did six out of 10. Mm. So I went right in between you guys. I went seven. Uh, It's a very consistent show, save for the 
boring as hell TV title match. Like every other match, I rated at least three stars. So it's very consistent. But I, I do feel like to really put it over the top and maybe hit an eight, I think you needed like another four star match. And I'm looking mm. at you, Taz and Sabu. Like I think if that hit four stars for me, I, I probably would have gone at least seven and a half, maybe eight. But as is like it, it, like you said, it's an easy watch. It's a consistent show, and it's it's a good show. But and uh, to your point, Jenny, that watered down thing. I think a lot of that honestly has to do with being on pay-per-view because if you remember it, it took them a while to get on pay-per-view because of the mass yeah, they had a really the play. mass transit incident and all that shit so i think that played like it was i, I feel like they kind of watered it down just to kind of cover their ass at least for the first pay-per-view and not get through like you weren't going to see raven crucifying sandman on <laughs> pay-per-view you know so i i feel like that played a role in it but but isn't just the idea of that anti-ecw the idea of like in order to become successful, we have to... Yeah, they sold out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. So it's like, <laughs> it, it that feels wrong. But they had to sell out. I think they had to, because you keep talking about change and guys being in and out. I mean, at some point, you want them to keep some of these guys. Like, they need they need the, the flow, inflow money. They need cash infusion. They need further success. Like, you're not going to keep RVD and Taz and the Dudleys and, like, all these guys around working for peanuts like you needed exposure and a bigger stage so at some point something had to give and given the climate like they just weren't going to get there as it is i think they push the envelope a bit on this show still um but i, I think it may be like a step back to step forward type thing you know like gain mm. the cred prove they're an entity that can draw money and then the then the pay-per-view companies may back off right and then let you be a little bit more yourself mm-hmm. i would venture to guess and i haven't seen like all these shows and if i have i don't remember them I would guess a pay-per-view in August of 98 looks a lot different. That's my guess, right? Mm. Um, so, Hopefully. I, I don't know. I mean, I get being disappointed. I, I get why. I see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't say I sat here and thought this hit. I mean, maybe I'm giving it the old, you know, WrestleMania 1 <laughs> gentleman's grade, right? Yeah, like, okay, yeah. you know, it without it, like, you don't get anything else. So, but I, I just, I think... I think it delivered on what it should have been like. And, and to me, I'd sit here and watch it again tonight. Like I'd, I'd be fine doing it again. The Michinoka pro stuff was like all time insane. And I think I was just a little higher on Taz Sabu than you guys. Plus the funk moments, a big one. Um, well, I'll, uh, that's what I like about this show too, is that you come at it from a very like sort of historical perspective and, knowing like where this fits in the grand scheme of things and i'm more like entrenched in like the day-to-day you know the week-to-week crap and like i don't know the big outcomes i'm just more Mm -hmm. more focused on like the immediate results Mm -hmm. as opposed to the long-term ones well i think the bigger question from here for us will be how does this affect uh, the promotion going forward, right? That'll be the question. Are we going to see a more sleeker, better produced product because they want to keep up this? Did they invest in this equipment? They're going to use it. Did they borrow the equipment? It was a one-time mm-hmm. thing, right? <laughs> and then we're going to go back to the gritty feel. Uh, are we going to get significant change? Are guys going to continue to peel off and leave now that they got bigger uh, and more high-profile matches, right? Like that's definitely a possibility too. Like, you know, you may not know how things play out fully, Jenny, but you know you've seen enough wcw to know you know guys are there sooner than mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. that we're seeing regularly here right so yes uh, 
things are going to change. It just, that's the evolution of this promotion. So we'll see how it grows. Uh, in two weeks' time, we will see how things follow with another batch of television that we'll get into where we'll have four weeks of TV to cover on our next episode, the fallout from Bailey Legal. What I'm curious is, will they show matches? Like, we always know from the Supercards, they show the matches, but mm -hmm. I'm guessing for the pay-per-view, they probably don't as much. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll probably see some fresh content um, on those four. So we'll get it to that in a couple weeks. And uh, all the other great content on the North-South Connection Podcast Network. Tons of great podcasts coming at you every day, covering the gamut of wrestling and beyond. Uh, we have chronological deep dives. We have lists. We have uh, other nerd, really nerd-heavy projects, uh, breaking down pay-per-views by, you know, uh, point systems and everything else. So a lot of stuff we're proud of here at the North-South. Jenny, anything real quick you want to plug? Uh, Wednesdays on the North South is where my shows are. Uh, we've been having really good episodes of You Heard About Pluto and Freak Out Drive-In recently, so check those out. Matt? You can find me every uh, other Sunday right here on the No So Feed on Seven Months of Danger, where we're going through uh, the Dangerous Alliance era of ECW, I believe by the time you're, of WCW rather, I believe by the time you're hearing this episode, three should be out, so give that a listen. You can find me on Twitter at msusa1991. That'll do it. Everyone stay extreme. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Barely Legal is in the books. Each careful step along the byway and more much more than this I did it my way yes there were times I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew but through it all when there was dark